Welcome to the APTA podcast. Defining moment spotlights a particular moment, incident, or case that led the writer to a career in physical therapy or confirmed why he or she became a physical therapist or physical therapist assistant. This is the account in her own words and voice of Pat McAdoo, who practices all over the state of Alaska. In 1952, my dad was recalled to active duty in the Navy and deployed to Japan in support of the Korean conflict. My 25-year-old pregnant mother, three-year-old brother, and I, aged five, moved to Coronado, California. Several months after our arrival, the 1953 polio epidemic broke out. Public swimming pools were closed and group social activities were canceled. Sound familiar? Despite our strict adherence to these measures, I contracted polio and was admitted to the county hospital in San Diego. A few weeks later, my brother was admitted in the next bed. Our very pregnant mom came faithfully each day to wave at us through the window as she stood on the lawn. The weeks passed and we were finally able to go home, but we had to return weekly to see the exercise lady. In all honesty, I don't remember any of the exercises we did, but I do remember how caring the exercise lady was to my brother, me, and especially my mother. Alone, separated from her Chicago family, awaiting the delivery of her third child, and praying each day for the safe return of her husband, my mom's life was not easy. The exercise lady began each session with all three of us sitting on the mat and telling her how things were going. A woman well ahead of her time, she had us articulate our short and long-term goals. I wanted to get back on the two-wheeler that my dad had taught me to ride just before he deployed, and I wanted to start first grade as scheduled in September. My brother wanted to climb the tree in the front yard, and my mom wanted her family back together safely and her children healthy. Each visit, we left with pictures of that week's home program and a great big hug from the exercise lady. Each time, she told my mom, you're doing a great job. My brother and I both realized that the exercise lady was helping our mom as much as she was helping us. We were not sure who she was, but she really knew her stuff and was committed to helping our family. By the time school started in September, 1953, I was able to enter first grade. It took a couple more months before I could ride my bike well. We left Coronado the next spring following my dad's return home, but we always remembered the exercise lady and I thought it would really be neat to be like her, someone who could help people and let them know she cared about them. In high school, I sustained a knee injury and was referred to physical therapy. I recognized this hardworking crew as the exercise lady's progeny. I pelted each therapist with questions about where she went to school, how she liked the job, and what the salary was. I wrote to each of the 48 physical therapist education programs to learn their prerequisites. I set my sights on the certificate programs, knowing I could always fall back on my bachelor's degree if I didn't get accepted. 
all the physical therapists I encountered were very smart and I wasn't sure I would be able to make the cut. With scholarships, loans, work study, and several part-time jobs, I was able to attend the University of San Francisco. I applied to five certificate programs, dreading the additional loans that I would have to take out so I could attend. I was accepted into the US Army program at Fort Sam Houston, Texas. It entailed a two-year commitment, but I would be paid as a second lieutenant and my undergraduate loans would not accrue interest while I was on active duty. The education program was an intense 40 hour per week, 54 week program. Despite being from all over the country, the 21 members of my class quickly bonded and our motto was together we graduate. Early on, we were introduced to the history of the profession and to APTA. Major Joyce McDowell described her experiences as president of the District of Columbia chapter, testifying before Congress during the Medicare hearings. Being a good therapist included not just conquering the mounds of knowledge that were presented in our classroom, but also being a patient advocate and a change agent. We quickly learned from Colonel Marilyn Anderson that evaluate and treat was the best referral you could get as it opened the door to your own clinical decision-making. I was already trying to get ahead on repayment of my undergraduate loans when APTA student membership was suggested. I was torn. It sounded exciting to be able to participate in making history as Major McDowell had done, but $10 was a lot of money to someone who took home $290 each month. It made for a lean month, but I decided to join and the yellow journals began arriving. Graduation finally arrived and I packed my bags to head to my first assignment at a large army medical center. Our Vietnam era patients were a challenge and our rehab staff worked together as a tight team. The senior staff led by example and expertise and mentorship virtually oozed out of the experience. I learned so much and made some literally lifelong friends. When my original two-year educational commitment was completed, I extended my service in the Army and went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I received one of the first APTA chapter reassignments and became active in the Tennessee chapter. I represented that state as a delegate in my first APTA House of Delegates in the early 70s, voting to extend membership to the physical therapist assistant. Following 10 years in the Army, I transferred to the US Public Health Service and was stationed at its Chicago outpatient clinic. Two years later, changes in national policy shuttered that clinic, and I was assigned to the Indian Health Service in Anchorage, Alaska in 1982. My coworkers took me to my first Alaska chapter meeting just a few days after my arrival. And two months later, I found myself elected chapter vice president. A year later, I was elected president. We quickly set our chapter sights on expanding the presence of physical therapy in Alaska by gaining direct access. The Alaska chapter was small, 
86 members when I arrived, but they definitely had Rosie the Riveter's attitude. And in 1986, we did attain direct access. We learned a lot about the legislative process and then went on to learn even more about the regulatory process. From the president of a multinational oil company in Anchorage to an Alaska native family living on the Bering Sea coast, our therapists expanded opportunities for all Alaskans to access physical therapy. That was when I understood how Joyce McDowell felt testifying before Congress. Along with her APTA colleagues, members and staff, she had been part of the big picture and participated in making change happen. My $10 membership dues had borne fruit for me and so many others. I've since then hoped to inspire other women to reach for the sky and realize they're not alone in their efforts. My three-legged stool of being an educated clinician, patient advocate, and change agent is still supporting me. And I work one week each month in the Alaska Native villages along the coast of the Norton Sound. These remote communities have been ravaged by epidemics, poverty, substance abuse, and prejudice. But they have a resiliency and a generosity that cannot be extinguished. It's not only an honor to serve these communities, it's the most exciting and fulfilling work I've ever experienced. Young people living there often feel that they cannot fill professional roles because they have not seen anyone who looks like them in these roles. So in addition to participating in community activities such as career panels and read aloud events, I make it a point to encourage clients to bring a family member with them when they come to physical therapy. As we talk, I strive to convey that someone from the village can become a teacher, nurse, therapist, or physician. It's so much fun to watch the look on their face when I point out that if you can butcher a moose, you can pass an anatomy course. A few years ago, a student from a Bush community applied to several physical therapy schools and did not receive an acceptance. When she talked of giving up, we rehearsed calling two of the schools and asking how she could make herself more competitive. She worked on these suggestions and reapplied. She's now completed physical therapy school and returned to her home community to practice. When one of my students is accepted to a program, I find out from the school what the most expensive text is that they will use in the first year. I put that and a personal note, along with some other items, such as a blood pressure cuff, a couple goniometers and tape measures in the mail to them. I also enclose a money order to pay for their first year of APTA student dues and tell them how proud I am to welcome them to the profession. Several of Anchorage's clinical facilities accept students. This provides an exposure to Alaska and to unique Alaskan physical therapy needs. It is, however, expensive for the student between the cost of traveling and housing. To help, I invite a clinical student to live in my home during their rotation, making it possible for them to accept a clinical rotation in Anchorage with a free, secure place to stay. These are small steps, 
very small steps in my mind, but I hope that I can open the door to a future in physical therapy for Alaskans, just as the exercise lady opened the door for me. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.